This morning, our first reading is taken from Exodus chapter 33, reading from verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And we'll turn now to John chapter 1, reading from verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Well, thank you very much. And let me add my welcome to Chalmers this morning. It's great to see you and lots of relatives of folk from church. You're welcome, very welcome amongst us. Um, we're uh, going to be in the John reading. Um, the first one, you may have thought that doesn't sound very Christmassy. Um, it's the best glimpse of God's glory until Christmas happened. That's why we read it. It's the best glimpse of God's glory until Jesus turned up in person, which will help us see what an amazing thing it is when Jesus does turn up in person. But today we're mostly focused on John chapter 1, and we're doing verses 14 to 18 this morning, having, having seen some of the other um, bits of this, this introduction to John's gospel over the last few weeks. I think it'd be hard to think of a, a, a kind of better verse to be preaching on for, for Christmas than uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and also hard to think of a morning where we're well, we're more distracted and tired than we are Christmas, Christmas Eve morning. Um, so I'm going to pray for God's help. I'm sure there's lots of things on our minds that aren't John 1, but let me pray for God's help to um, help us focus and listen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Christmas is a time where there's a lot on our minds, tired from a long term, uh, sad as we think back on relationships we miss, stressed as we prepare for all the busyness of the coming few days, and full of excitement and joy at the chance of celebrating Christmas with those we love. And so, Father, we pray with all those things on our hearts, we do pray that you'd help us now to take some time out, to listen to your voice, and to receive Jesus, the Word made flesh. Thank you for this opportunity, and we pray that you'd help us to take it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's an outline of where we're going on the back of the notice sheet, and the question I want to start with at the beginning is, is a feeling, really, which I think is very common. It's very common amongst folk who aren't Christians, and I think it sometimes bubbles up for those of us who are. Uh, this feeling that if God is really there, I just wish he'd make himself obvious. Ever thought that or felt that? If God exists, this, this great creator of the world we can see and every person in it, well, why doesn't he do a bit more to show us he's there? To show himself to us, to, to write his name in the sky or do a load of miracles uh, or something like that. I mean, it's, it's clear that the obvious can't be that compelling or that obvious or else there wouldn't be so many different religions and worldviews, would there? I mentioned in the first carol service that my son was playing the part in his school nativity show of Alien One. And for those of you who have been waiting with bated breath for Alien 1 updates, it was, a great, it was a great show. Teachers worked really hard. Kids did well. And the plot was uh, visiting aliens have come to Earth, and they're, they're looking around to see how different cultures celebrate Christmas. And it was actually clever, because it meant you could get both kind of Silent Night-type songs and Felice Navidad into a Christmas show, which, 
is always a crowd pleaser. It's still in my head, trying not to think about it, uh, failing. So, uh, the kind of they, they went around these different cultures, seeing how people celebrated uh, Christmas, and, and Jesus did get a look in. He was in there. There are various songs and sketches. There's Santa Claus over here. There's Babushka over here. There's fairies over here and dragons over here and magical spiders over there. And Jesus, some people still believe in him. One of a number of things that people choose to believe around the world. And of course, it's not just school, is it, and school nativities. Go around our neighborhoods or our workplaces, and there'll be people celebrating all sorts of things in the coming days. Um, Christmas, Xmas, Hanukkah, winter solstice just passed, Chinese New Year, and loads of other religious festivals through the rest of the year. So then, is it the case that the evidence is just not clear enough to be sure Is that why there's so many options across the globe in Edinburgh? We're just kind of guessing, guesswork in the dark. Even the atheistic materialist who comes along and says, well, I can't see God, so he can't exist. Well, she might be right. Is there really any way to know the truth? I think it's easy to give an illustration of this. I think it's easy to feel like the situation humanity are in is that we're all sharing life inside a kind of really big room with no windows, the universe, no windows to the outside. Every so often people enter a door marked birth, but they can't help us, they can't even speak, we have to teach them stuff. Every so often people leave through a door marked death. We miss them terribly, it seems permanent, they don't come back, and we can't see through that door. And so here we are in the room. Did someone make the room? I don't know. What's your guess? Was there anything before the room? Is there anything above the room or outside the room? Is there anything beyond the room, through that door? Mark death. And we try our best. We learn a lot about ourselves, biology, medicine, psychology. We learn a lot about our environment, geology, physics, chemistry. But actually, when it comes to the most important questions of life, things like, Who are we? Why are we here? What's the point of life? What's right? What's wrong? And who gets to say? Maybe in those issues we're just guessing in the dark. That kind of sobering prospect of just guesswork is where postmodernism has kind of left us. Everyone's guessing. I mean, even those philosophers and scientists... Uh, who who were so confident that they had all the answers, well, actually, maybe they were shaped by their own background and their perspective and their prejudice more than they chose to admit. Can we just never really know? If that's humanity's predicament, the opening of John's Gospel, it is like a bright shaft of light bursting into the closed, dark room. The claim of John, who's one of Jesus' early followers, a close follower, eyewitness of Jesus... The claim is that in Jesus Christ, God has made himself clear, brightly, starkly clear. God isn't hiding from us. Uh, He is in the open. Strikingly as well, John chapter 1 says, uh, God didn't begin making himself known that first Christmas. Jesus being born at the baby wasn't the start of God revealing himself. Um, No, if you look back to chapter 1 verse 1, actually right from the start of this this introduction, John's been using this term, the word, to describe Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And the point of that term, the word, is that God has always been communicative. He's always been speaking right from the start, revealing what he's like. It's not the case that we're just living in a dark box with no windows, no messages or clues from the outside. No, actually, God's been communicating to us in all sorts of ways. We see that in the Old Testament. He speaks in various times and various ways. But now, verse 14, where our passage starts, the difference that the first Christmas has made is that God has now stepped into the room himself. He's come to live among us. He came, if you like, to end the debate. Or you would think that would end the debate. You would think it's pretty hard to keep claiming, for example, there's no God if he's turned up in history and shown himself. Uh, Atheism has to take a real leap of faith when it comes to what do you do with Jesus. You'd think it's pretty hard to keep claiming that there are loads of different gods when God has turned up himself and showed us what he's like. And yet, we did see last week that actually Jesus' arrival, and we see it all around us, Jesus' arrival doesn't end the debate. Striking, Jesus turns up, the Son of God turns up to the world he made, to people he made, and actually lots of them reject him when he turns up. All the more extraordinary when you think what Jesus was like. He's a wonderful person, showing us God's good nature. And this morning, we're going to reflect a bit more on what Jesus is like. Um, So we've got four points, but don't panic. It's fairly simple, actually. We're just looking at Jesus, just going to look at Jesus. When God turned up, when he stepped into the room, what did we find out about God? Or who's the real God when he's at home? So let's get into it. Um, Point one, uh, Jesus makes the invisible God visible and knowable. Here's what we're starting. Jesus makes the invisible God visible and knowable. Um, Now, if you want to, I think the way our little block of text works is is it it works kind of inwards in kind of brackets. So we're going to look at verse 14 and verse 18, and then we'll work our way in. Um, like clock that or else it will seem very strange where I'm I'm pointing to uh, as we go through our points. Uh, So we're going to start with the topping and tailing, the the brackets at the front and the end. Just listen to these two verses and hopefully you'll hear the echoes. Um, So verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Then verse 18, similar ideas. No one's ever seen God The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. See that issue of sight going on? Uh, We've seen his glory, says verse 14. Or no one's ever seen God, says verse 18. Actually, that's a bit confusing, isn't it? Which is it? Has no one ever seen God or, or have you seen God? Well, John's saying this first point, Jesus makes the invisible God visible and knowable. No one has ever seen God face to face. That's what we saw in that Moses reading. It just wasn't possible for a a morally compromised human being to see God face to face and still live. And yet now, says John, the most extraordinary thing has happened. We didn't just get a glimpse of the back of God's glory tucked into a cave like Moses. No, we saw him. 
I guess John's thinking about the day when Jesus took normal water, H2O, and turned it into the finest wine John had ever tasted. And the comment was, then we saw his glory. He revealed his glory to us. Or when Jesus took a packed lunch and fed a football stadium's worth of people. A Scottish football stadium. It was just 5,000. Or commanded a dead man to come back to life after days of decomposition in the grave. We saw the glory of the creator actually walking amongst us in flesh as a human. Verse 14 again, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. That's important to realize, Paul, uh, sorry, John wasn't gullible and wasn't actually kind of predisposed to, to believe this. Um, one thing he would know as a Jewish man was that, that there is only one God and he's not a human being. He, he's different to humans, the creator and yet, once he'd seen Jesus up close, there was no other possible conclusion. Not just a powerful miracle worker or a great teacher or a religious healer or a prophet. No, the creator himself has taken on flesh, taken on a human nature. The invisible God's become visible. But actually, it's not just visible that you could now see him or touch him if you were living at the right time. No, now he was knowable in a, in a whole new way. That's what verse 14 is getting at in this language of he dwelt among us. Literally, that's he pitched his tent with us. It's a reference back to the tabernacle in the Old Testament where God came to live in the middle of his people. He went camping with them, as it were. Um, and, and of course, Jesus is a, is a huge step forward in intimacy and clarity of that relationship. There were all sorts of safety barriers around the original tent. But now Jesus has stepped in. So, verse 18, no one's ever seen God in the past, but the only God who's at the Father's side, that's Jesus, has made him known. God is now knowable because of Jesus. So, if you're here this morning as a visitor or a guest, we're glad you're here. We, we love it when people come who aren't Christians, who are just looking in on what we believe, curious maybe. Um, I realize some of the language I'll use this morning is really strange. Um, what is this word? What do we mean made flesh? Some of these ideas actually are mind-bending. But the key claim John is making is actually really straightforward. This, this introduction sets up the rest of the book. And what John's saying is, look, if you saw what I saw, and I've written it down so that you can, you can be sure, you can have a look. If you look at what we actually witnessed... Well, then the clear conclusion is that God himself has come. God has stepped into the room. God has made himself not just visible, but knowable. We can relate to him. Christmas is often a poignant time relationally. I think often our minds are turning to the empty chairs. It might be relationships that have broken down. It might be loved ones who've died. It might be relationships we'd love to have. As um, Bruce was praying earlier, it's clear, wasn't it? Some of us will actually be more lonely at Christmas than at other times, when it seems like everyone else is having a wonderful time with those who are closest to them, with people who really know them and really love them. 
15 engagements announced in December. It's not quite that number, but it's been a lot. If only I had that. Other families sitting quietly, happily, it seems, at church, looking forward to Christmas. If only I had that. Easy to feel that. Others, multi-generational families. Again, happy, united. If only I had that. People who really knew me, loved me. Actually, the reality is if you visited those houses, it probably wouldn't be quite as uh, kind of happy and peaceful. The reality is even the closest human relationships, they're, they're marred by sin and suffering. Actually, no one truly knows us and loves us as fully as we'd like, except the God who made us and does know us. It could be a scary thought, can't it? It's funny, it's what we most want. I just wish someone actually knew me and what we really fear. If someone really knew me, oh, what would they say? What would they do? They probably wouldn't want to be anywhere near me. But then here's God who already knows us, who sees through all the masks, all the, all the brave faces and the, the squeaky clean pretense. He sees through it all and yet loves us enough to come that we could know him, to make himself visible, relatable, and to give us the privilege we heard about last week. Just look back to verse 12. Um, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We can be part of the most extraordinary family, God's eternal family. That's our first point. And they're not all this long, don't worry. But that's our first point. Jesus makes the invisible God visible and knowable. And so if you are a Christian here, I would encourage us, it's still the craziness and busyness, the cooking and the wrapping and the seeing of family and everything else. Do try and take a few moments out or to reflect on or to talk about just the extraordinary blessing it is to actually be able to know God, not as some distant creator, the watchmaker who set it all running and then stepped back. No, our Father in heaven, through Jesus, the Word made flesh, our, our brilliant, loving brother. It's an amazing thought, actually. And if we're Christians, it's an amazing thing to offer to those around us, to, to friends and family who don't know God or have very different views on the world. I'm so glad that what we offer is not actually a human institution. You know, here's some churchianity. Would you like it? Every human institution, including the church, has flaws and failures and scandals. I'm glad we're not just offering a philosophy or moral code. Here's a clever idea. Have you tried this one? Here's some do-goodery. Do you want to try harder? Now, what we offer is a person, a real living relationship with a living person. Jesus makes God knowable. Okay, that's point one. Let's go on to point two a bit more briefly. Um, what do we see? When, when we do look at the word made flesh, what do we see? What is God actually like when he steps into the room? Well, 14, uh, let's go back to verse 14. This is great. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, then look on to verse 17, the, the kind of closing bracket of this prayer. Um, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's a game you can play at Christmas. 
if you want something to do with your friends and family and you're running out of ideas, what two words would you use to sum up the people you know well around the family, around the friendships? I mean, you have to have a rule that they have to be two friendly words, nice words, positive words, or else it could be uh, detrimental. And what two words come to mind to kind of capture someone's nature? What would you go for, for Jesus Christ, those of us who know him? Loving, kind, authoritative, saviour, king. They'd all be great words. Let's just see what John goes for again, verse 14 and verse 17. Full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace means undeserved kindness. God being far better to us than we deserve. Truth means God being faithful, true to his word, true to his promises, true to himself, true to his character. When you think about that, that's an extraordinary combination, isn't it? Grace and truth. I think around the world there's a lot of warm lies and blunt, harsh truth. When you look at Jesus, you see grace and truth. Undeserved kindness that doesn't compromise truth. But how actually can God be both gracious, kind to those who don't deserve it, and truthful? This is one of the puzzles that we've been seeing through our time in Genesis. How can a just God let unjust people get away with it? How can he bless people who don't deserve it? I can see he can do the grace thing, let us off the hook, but what about the truth thing? Actually, that phrase, grace and truth, it harks back, it echoes what Moses was told about God all the way back in Exodus 34. That's the other reason we read it. When God said, I'm a God gracious and compassionate, there's the grace. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, that's the truth, who will not clear the guilty. There's the justice. God was saying, I'm the one who combines grace and truth. I will be faithful to myself and I will be gracious to you. And all the way through the Bible, the question is, how is that possible? Until Jesus came, the Son of God, who would grow up to die for rebels like us, so that we could be called children of God. Until Jesus came, who uh, two weeks ago we, we heard labelled by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. That's how amazing Jesus is. It's not just that his speech is gracious and truthful, No, through him and through his death, God can be gracious to us whilst being faithful and truthful to himself. That's our second point. Jesus is the unique son of God, full of grace and truth. I'd love to say more on that, but uh, there isn't time this morning. Uh, Let's go on to point three. And in some ways, we've started seeing point three already because point three is that Jesus is the climax of the prophets and the law's witness. Um, So in verse 15, you get the last of the prophets, John, John the Baptist, this is. Not John the gospel writer, but John the Baptist. Verse 15, John bore witness about Jesus and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And then verse 17, we've got mention of the law given through Moses for grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The point of those two figures, uh, John the Baptist and and Moses, uh, John was the last great prophet. 
Moses, the great first kind of um, uh, paradigmatic prophet, like the, the, the prophet who started it all, showed you what a prophet looks like. So the first and last prophets, from the beginning to the end, were all pointing forward to this climax, this climax of the Old Testament, when the word became flesh, when God turned up in person. And just look at John's message. Um, John is one of the witnesses who's brought out in this kind of uh, court case to show you who Jesus actually is. And look at his testimony. This, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me, because he was born after, Jesus was born after John, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. As in John the Baptist was saying, Look, God the Son, unlike the rest of us, didn't come into existence when he was born. No, in the beginning was the Word. And then the Word became flesh. He took on humanity. Extraordinary thing. That means he willingly chose to be born in those humiliating circumstances, the animal barn in the little town of Bethlehem. And that was what the whole Bible had been building up to. Again, it blows the roof off this idea of a closed room, doesn't it? A sealed system, no real evidence of whether God's there or what he's like. No, the Bible says, no, God has been planning a rescue from the start of human history. And he's been talking about it in the Old Testament. Lots of promises pointing forward to this day when God himself steps into the room. As John says later, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And those of us who've been around for Genesis have seen that. That language of giving your only son comes from Abraham. The language of the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, comes from Abraham, first book of the Bible. That's point three. Jesus is the climax of the prophets and laws witness. But finally, and with this We'll draw to a close. Our final point, which in some ways is the most important thing to clock this morning. This is where we get to the effect of Jesus' arrival. As in, what was the point of the word becoming flesh? Well, verse 16, right in the heart of it. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So grace and truth came through Jesus. God was demonstrating his character, how he's utterly faithful to his word, faithful to his character, and gracious to sinners, people like us. Jesus came to die to pay the price. But that enables our experience of God to be grace upon grace. I said earlier this idea of someone really knowing us, kind of warts and all, with no masks, seeing the real me, seeing what goes through my heart and my mind, seeing everything I've done. That thought is actually scary, isn't it? It is to me. Both what we most want and what we really fear. I really want someone to know me inside and out. But if they did, would they like me? Well, here's the glory of Christmas. The glory of the real God who's there. He knows exactly what we're like. He knows what we struggle with. 
He knows the muck and the filth. He knows all the mixed motives. He sees through all the masks. And yet he so loved the world, this world, with us in it. He so loved us. He sent his only son so that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. And that really does mean that our experiences as Christians, whether we realize it or not, what we're actually experiencing from God is grace upon grace. From his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. I think that is really worth reflecting on at Christmas. Um, I don't know why. I think maybe it's the advertising. I don't, I don't know what it is. I think Christmas can be a time where actually we, we can struggle with looking across the fence at other people, what they have, what they're enjoying, what we'd like to have. We can almost start to feel God's holding out on us. Uh, if only I had a marriage like, like they do, a happy marriage like they do, children like they do, happy children like they do, and so on and so on. Actually, this would be a great time to reflect on the undeserved kindness we've received in Jesus. Whether finances are tight for us or plentiful, whether health is a battle for us or not at the moment. Actually, whatever's going on circumstantially, from his fullness we've received grace upon grace. Just think about it. Think of some of the Elements of undeserved kindness that we've received in Jesus for those trusting him. Even in John 1, all who receive Jesus are given the grace of being adopted as his children. The right to be called children of God. All who believe in him are given the grace of being forgiven for free at his expense. From his fullness we've received grace upon grace. We have the grace of having Jesus with us personally. Surely I am with you to the end of the age. We have the grace of the Holy Spirit making his dwelling in our hearts, which as we face, face a few days or a week or two, where there'll be lots of battles to be godly, battles to say no to things that we know aren't right and say yes to love even when it's hard. What a blessing to have the Holy Spirit with us through this Christmas period. The grace of knowing the Father, being brought into fellowship with him. The grace of eternal life now and beyond the grave. From his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. And this really is open to everyone. Uh, one tip, if you're ever reading John's Gospel, is to be careful with the we's, the we, the word we. Like, who's the we talking about? And in verse 14, the we was the original eyewitnesses. John, he was there. He actually saw it. And the other apostles, the disciples, we saw his glory. But actually, when we get to verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, that is something that any Christian can say. In fact, the very reason John wrote down his gospel was so that we could benefit from Jesus Christ. He says at the end, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you, you in Edinburgh, you in 2023, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus likewise prayed for us before he went to the cross. We hear it in John, 20, uh, John 17. Sorry, 
I don't ask only for these disciples, he said, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. People like Chalmers today here. The point being that we can say, from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. So then as I close, whether the next few days will be full of joy and excitement or sadness and sorrow, or for most of us it will be a a bit of a mixture of both those things. Here are, I think, the key truths to hold on to from John chapter 1. In Jesus, God has made himself visible and knowable. Jesus is full of grace and truth. When you actually meet the real God, that's what he's like. Gracious, truthful. The whole Old Testament was building up to Jesus. And most amazingly of all, when Jesus came into the world that first Christmas time, he stepped into the room, not just to tell everyone off and say, how dare you treat my father like this? How could you ignore the law of the prophets? No, extraordinarily, he came to offer a place in the family Forgiveness, grace upon grace from his fullness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. It's such an extraordinary thing that you, God the Son, would become flesh and dwell among us. Sometimes it's such, such a big idea, so mind-bending, we struggle to think about it. But we pray very much that this Christmas season you would help us to reflect on your goodness and kindness and grace. Thank you that to all who believe in Jesus, we're given the right to be children of God. Thank you that we have received fullness, from your fullness, grace upon grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.